Today, I wanted to just share a word with all of you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And so it's on the screen if you want to follow along. And so I'll be reading from the ESV version. And so hear now the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, and errant word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the meaning of God's holy, infallible, and inspired, inerrant word. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, But the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, I pray that as we look at this very familiar text for many of us, I know it can be easy for us to go back to the many lessons and the sermons that we've heard on on these passages, these verses. And it can be easy for us to kind of maybe tune ourselves out. But I pray that the truth of Romans 11, 33 to 36 would be on our minds and our hearts right now. That, oh, the depths, oh, the riches of your word. That unfathomable is your, is your grace and mercy. That endless are the nuggets of wisdom, of truth, of grace that we can receive. So I pray that we would humble ourselves right now, even myself included that we would be encouraged, we would be comforted, not because we are awesome, because we are able, but because you are awesome, because you are able, because you are faithful and we are faithless. And so with the glories and excellencies of Christ be made clear and proclaimed to your people today, with the glories and excellencies, the majesty and the splendor, the beauty of Christ, captivate our hearts, inspire us and influence us to live a life that is pleasing to you, not because we're trying to get something from you, but in response to your grace. Thank you, and I pray all these things in my name of Jesus. Amen. You know, the other day, my oldest daughter, Cassie, brought home her report card. She's in second grade, and so... I remember when, you know, it was report card time even for, for myself growing up. A lot of times we would, you know, I, I would get a little scared because I knew the reaction that my parents would always give me. I could bring home straight A's. You know, I could get a 98 or 99 on a test. And their first reaction was always, where's the one point, right? Where's the extra two points? Like, why did you get that one wrong? And I remember growing up, just going through that, that I would tell, that I told myself that I would never ever do that to my kids. Fast forward 20 years, my daughter, again, second grade, brings home her report card, 
first thing I, I look at and notice is not all the good grades that she got, but the bad grades. Or, you know, in second grade, so they don't have an A, B, C, D. Like, so at first I was confused because I saw that she got an E. I'm like, wait, is that a between a D and an F? And so I was, I was getting a little upset at her because she got a D. Like, it was like worse than a D. And then, she, and then I saw the report, it's like, E, it means excel, like, you know, exceeds the standard. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, so I was, I was relieved a little bit. But then the majority of her report card was M's, like, meets the standard. I'm like, you're just average, like, in my mind. And I'm like, I'm like, no, you're better than that, right? And I had to stop myself because I realized what I was doing. I, I, I basically became my parents, right? Even an upgraded version of my parents. And I, it was just very embarrassing for me and I had to repent to her because, I'm, again, she's in second grade. She's not ready for that, at least not yet, right? And so I'm totally kidding. I'm not, I, I hope I don't do that to my, to my kids, right? But, again, I just I knew that I had to repent, and I, I told it I'm sorry that you know, my natural instinct was not to praise her or to just, you know, just notice all the good things that she did. But the first thing to, that I noticed is the mistakes that she made. And when we look at this passage, and it's very familiar for, for many of you who've grown up in the church, and, for the, and we began a new semester here, and I know that many of you are worried about your career, right? This semester, what grades you're going to get. Maybe you're already worrying that, you know, oh, my professor's horrible, that he's, he or she's going to, you know, this is going to be a long semester. Like, you already know that. Maybe some of you are worrying about, okay, what's next steps after this semester, am I going to go to grad school? Am I going to try to find a job? And you're, it feels as if you, you're putting this pressure on yourself where you feel as if you're on a performance review period, right? this probationary period. And so these verses on the Sermon on the Mount, it can be easy for us to fall into that mode where we feel like we have to perform, otherwise we're not going to be good enough or we don't feel like we're we don't, we don't feel like we, like we don't belong in the kingdom of God. And perhaps some of you are already trying to figure out, right? You, you saw the title of the, today's sermon. It's actually a misdirection because I know that some of you guys are probably already predicting the main point is going to be the question, am I a disciple or am I a part of the crowd, right? So maybe some of you have already predicted that, or you've, but that's a misdirection just to give you guys a heads up. So that's not the point of the text or even today's message. The point is not for you guys to try to struggle and wrestle with, am I part of the crowd or am I a disciple? Because while the word does implicitly ask that, my prayer and my hope is that the main focus will not be on us questioning our status, questioning whether we're in the kingdom of God or whether we're outside of it. Because that's not the focus of the text. Rather, the focus of the text is Christ inviting us to rest in him. The hope of the gospel is not in our performance, but it's in Christ's performance. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the gospel. If God says, okay, I saved you, you're out of hell, okay, but now it's up to you to make it to, to make, you know, to make it to the end. Right? That's not the gospel. That's just, okay, you, you gave us a second chance, but Right? We we're reminded in Hebrews for that Christ is not just the author of our salvation, but he's the author, the sustainer, and the perfecter of our salvation. That's the hope of the gospel, that God does not just give us right, the starting point and say, here, you figure it out, but here's the starting point, here's the checkpoints, and here's the finish line, and guess what? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make sure that you make it to the end. 
right? That's the hope of the gospel. So the hope of the gospel is not in our performance, but it's in Christ's performance. And so if you focus on what we need to do, we're going to be discouraged. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be cynical. And instead, my encouragement and my challenge to all of you today is to focus on Christ. Focus on what he's done. And we're going to break this text down into three points, as, as I'm sure we're all used to by, by this point. Number one, the infection of consumerism. Secondly, the influence of complacency. And then thirdly, the invitation of compassion. That's the infection of consumerism, the influence of complacency, and then the invitation of compassion. All right. So in verses 1 and 2, right, the first point, the infection of consumerism, it's clear that Jesus is addressing two groups of people, the crowd and then the disciples. And he's basically inviting the crowd to become disciples. Now, if you, again, if you've seen Encanto, I'm sure you can probably relate a little bit, but if you haven't seen Encanto, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but basically it's, Encanto's basically the, like this decade's like frozen. And so it's going to, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's probably advisable for you, for you to watch it soon because everyone's going to be talking about it soon. And so and you, some of you probably heard the songs on the radio, like, you know, we don't talk about Bruno, and then I forgot the other songs because so like my my daughters have already seen it like seven times, and so and so I've only ca- I've only seen it once, so so I still have six more times before I catch up to them, right? And so basically the the plot line is that there's a store this family that's been influenced by magic, and they were saved by magic, and then everything is going great at least on the surface level, like everything's going it seems as if every, like parents, but again appearances are deceiving because we find out later as the movie goes on that like, the, the house is cracking, everything seems to be falling apart, like everyone is just pretending that everything's okay. And so it was like going through therapy for me, like a mini therapy session for me because I'm like, this is exactly what I went through when I was growing up. Like appearances are deceiving. Like we pretended that everything's okay like at home, but in reality, like again, just like everything is just suppressed because no one wanted to talk about the real issues. And so, but the, the main character, right, Mirabel, like she's in the family. And so every member of the family has a gift. Like a, it's like a Disney version of Marvel, like where everyone has a superhero power except her. And so there's these hints of her feeling as if she's on the fringes of her, even in her own family, because everyone has a power, everyone has a gift except her. And so even her little cousin got a gift before her. And so there's a sense of maybe I'm not worthy to be a part of this family. I need a, maybe something's wrong with me. Something is, you know, maybe I don't, maybe I need to leave this family. Maybe I need to go somewhere else. And so there's this, this dynamic of family issues of acceptance, of worth, of value. And so Again, she feels left out. She feels ashamed because right, the message that's been communicated to her is that she's not good enough. And when we look at this passage of the Sermon on the Mount, right, most people see these chapters and verses as kind of this checklist that we need to accomplish in order to gain access to heaven or to be truly be a part of God's family. But that's 
not what's going on here, because Jesus is saying that the kingdom has arrived. And these beatitudes, right, blessed are the poor in spirit, right, these beatitudes are declaration of the promises that are available to those who follow after him. So this is not a carrot that's being dangled in front of us. Say, if you follow Christ, you're going to get this carrot. Like, if you, if you do this, and if you follow A, B, C, D, E, you're going to get into heaven. Come on, just take this carrot, right? So it's not God dangling this spiritual carrot in front of us. You know, follow A, B, C, and then you're going to get into heaven. It's not a probationary period. It's not a performance review period where we need to act a certain way. We need to live a certain way in order to gain acceptance or worth or value from God. Right? These verses are not meant to be a guilt trip to shame us or to make us fall in line, but God is inviting us through Christ to draw near to him because Christ has drawn near to us. Right? Christ has initiated. Christ has come down to us. And so he's saying the kingdom is here. Everyone's invited. And the, the problem is, though, is that we learn in the previous verses that a lot of the people who show up only show up for what Jesus can do for them and not for who he is. In other words, they wanted the gifts and not the giver himself. And if you want the scriptural reference for that, just look at a couple of verses before in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. And so this, in, this infection of consumerism is not just a 21st century phenomenon, but it's even something that was back then, even over 2,000 years ago. And so these people, they were chasing after Jesus. They wanted the work of his hands right, and not himself. They were treating Jesus like a lucky charm that will help them to get what they really want, right? Quick fix or whatever they were looking for. And likewise, maybe some of you, right, when you first started coming out to church, maybe you came out, not necessarily because you were looking for Christ, but maybe you were looking for community or maybe you were looking for something to help you, you know, deal with COVID or maybe you were bored on a Friday or and maybe you just wanted to be entertained. Or maybe you're looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend or you know, future wifey or husband. I don't know. And so I remember when I went to church, I, I didn't go because I loved Jesus, right? I, I went because I was bored and I wanted to meet girls. Like just being straight up. Right? And so and so and if, if you're here today and that's and, and your reason for being here is not necessarily to be with Jesus, you know, I'm not saying that I'm not telling you to leave right now, you know, but what I'm saying is I'm glad that you're here, right? But the hope and the prayer is that now that you're here, that you would learn to to love Jesus as he has made himself available to you. And so when Jesus just becomes a means to an end. Right, and not the end itself. And whatever reason for you being here, whether you really want community, whether you want a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you want a good career, like right? you think to yourself, okay, if I follow Jesus, if I'm a good Christian, I'm gonna get good grades, and then after I get good grades, I'm gonna get into a, a good grad school or good grad program, I'm gonna get a good job, and after I get a good job, I'm gonna have a good career, and then a good career, good life, and then after a good life, I'm gonna pass down a good legacy to my children and to their children, 
and so on and so on and so on. And so there's this formula that we think that as long as we follow A, B, and C, that D, E, and F is going to follow. Right? And so those aren't bad things in and of themselves. I want to make that clear. Right? Wanting good grades, wanting a good career, right? wanting to have a husband or a wife, wanting to have a decent job, right? those are in and all of themselves good things. The problem is when we take something good and we turn it into something ultimate. Because the only thing that is meant to be ultimate is God. And so when we take something good and turn it into a God thing, right? When we, turn, when we want community more than Christ, or when we want good grades, or we want that job, or we want that girl or boy, or we want that career, or that school, or that car, or that company more than Christ, what we're saying is that that good thing has become our God. And we're assigning that thing a value, a worth that it was never intended to have in the first place because the only thing that was meant to be God is God himself. And so we're saying that, and so again, good things, but when we turn it into a God thing, right, that's when it becomes an issue. And that's when we realize right, that we've become part of the crowd. And so maybe this is an opportunity for all of you to consider, okay, like what are some of the things, it's a tendency, like some things that maybe all of you are tempted to turn into a God thing, right? And so, again, everything in this world has been created by God and is good. But when we turn it into the ultimate thing, right, that's when that becomes the issue. So what are some of the things that maybe you turn into a God thing instead of keeping it good? And so we see that there's this emphasis, this issue of consumerism. Again, it's not just a 21st century issue, but it's present even in, in the text, in the people here, right? Because they're seeking the works of Christ, the, the hand of God, and not God himself. And this leads to the second point, right? The influence of complacency. And what we see here is people aren't willing to go further. Now, if you've ever studied leadership, you know that you know one of the books that that is always out there, always talked about, is "Good to Great" by Jim Collins. And if you've never read it before, like the basically the the Cliff Notes version is that the the, the enemy to a good company is right. The, the the reason why companies don't become great companies is because they're content with being good companies, and so complacency kills basically. And complacently, complacency, when even when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our faith, it prevents us being the Christians that God wants us to be, God has called us to be. Right? I look at where CLC is now, right? and it's such an encouragement to be here with all of you because right, I remember even the, what, two, two months ago when we were at, at our last worship service at Stadium Village Church, and and just having, just seeing everyone there, and even everyone at the the members meeting afterwards, and just seeing all of you committed, seeing all of you wanting to be a part of the next steps of this church, right? Because I know that you guys have been through a lot, right? again, probably a lot more than I than I know already. And so you guys have been through a lot. You guys have been through the meat grinder, and you guys have come out of that, and you got here. You guys are, 
and you guys are turning the corner, right? And Pastor Aiden's going to be examined for, for at least the first part of his ordination process. And, the, and so everything is going as planned. And so there's definitely movement, there's traction. It was, there's still some inertia that we need to kind of battle against, but nonetheless, right, there's definitely something that you know, God is doing in the midst of CLC, and I, and I see it, and I'm excited for, for CLC. And so that, I'm not saying that we need to keep on, you know, keep, you know keeping on the, 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 foot on the you know, foot on the pedal, right? But what I'm saying is that let's not get too complacent at this point because it's important that we realize that there's still a lot of work to be done. Right? And what Jesus is doing here as he is talking about, you know, these beatitudes, right? Verse 3, right? And he's basically going up the mountain. And because if, you rem- if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, so in the Old Testament, after the Israelites, they were freed from Egypt. They were in Mount, they were on, you know, area Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain and he gave the law of God to the people of God. And so that was that reckon, that was basically the establishment. Like it wasn't like you need to follow these laws now in order to be a part of the kingdom. It's God has saved you, right? The indicative and then the imperative, right? God has saved you, therefore. Like respond to this salvation, respond to what God has done. And so God delivered the people of God from bondage, from slavery. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's going up the mountain because what he's saying is that he is the greater Moses. He's saying that he's going to establish a kingdom, a nation that is greater than Israel. And so when Moses came down with the law of God, he did so with a purpose, right? Because the Lord was starting a new era and was calling the Israelites to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a people set apart for God. And the people of God will be the means by which the world will come to know who God is through their actions, through their life witness. Unfortunately, the people of God didn't want to come any closer. Right? They were cool with where, where they were. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good, Jesus. Like, I'm good, God. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go any, anywhere closer. I, I, you and I, we're, we're good right here. Right? They basically told Moses that they're just going to stay where they are. And that Moses, he can just do everything on their behalf because they have no interest in going any further. Basically, what they were saying is that they were out of Egypt, they were freed, but Egypt was still in them. Right? Remnants and vestiges of Egypt was still in them. And so in the same way, brothers and sisters, like, right, we've been freed from sin, right? but st- sin still remains in us. And we see that Jesus is going up as a greater Moses because he's telling them he's going to deliver he's the, his redemption, that his deliverance is going to be greater than the redemption, than the salvation that the Israelites originally experienced, that he's going to bring the greater exodus through the crucifixion and the resurrection. He goes up the mountain and he declares to the people of God that the kingdom has arrived. A new era has begun, and it's not only the Jews who are called to be the God's priests, but it's Gentiles as well. Right, looking around the room, I don't think any of us are Jews. Right? I think we're all Gentiles pretty much at this point. 
right? And so a new era has begun. God has given us this wonderful privilege to be his ambassadors, his priests to this world. The question is, are we going to repeat the same mistakes that the people of God did at Mount Sinai over 3,000 years ago? Will we just stay complacent and focus on how maintaining and preserving ourselves is better or a safer option because it's too much work or too much of an inconvenience to get up and do something? Now, this is a good place to end the sermon, and I'm sure maybe some of you are probably wanting me to end the sermon. And this is a good place to end the sermon, but... Right? Because it forces all of us at this point to think about our next steps as a church. But if I end the sermon here, many of you are going to feel very frustrated, feel guilty, overburdened, maybe a little shamed, with all the needs, that everything that needs to be done. And so it's going to make you focus on what you, or what we as, as a church, what we need to do. And if that's the result of the sermon then. That's what I preach to you is not grace, is not the gospel, but it's legalism. Right? I'm just adding more onto your plate. So instead of ending by making us focus and think about what we need to do, I want us to focus and think about what Christ has already done. Which leads us to the last point, the invitation of compassion. And if I had the time, right, I could... I could go. I, I think I could spend like 40 minutes on each beatitude, but again, I'll I'll spare you guys the details, All right? But we see that Jesus, again, he is not saying that these are conditions that we need to meet in order to receive his blessings. He's saying he's already declared that the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. That God has given his blessing without any conditions, no strings attached so long as we come to Christ in order to see the giver himself. Right? Oftentimes, right, we take these standards, right? And so these Beatitudes, like they're, they're not meant to be a standard for which we compare ourselves or like to others, but they're meant to be like a mirror, right? And so what we end up doing is, instead of using passages like this as a mirror to examine ourselves, we take it and we use it like it's we treat it like a window to look into the lives of other people and like compare oh that person is not born born spirit i'm better right or that person is not meek you know what's wrong with them i need to pray for them right we we compare ourselves and we and we don't look at ourselves when this pat these verses like this were meant for us to examine ourselves right each be added they're they're basically like ladders of spiritual growth Reminding us that Jesus is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but he's the A to Z of Christianity. That we need him not just in the beginning of our faith journey, but we need him beginning, middle, and even at the end. Right? The first beatitude, being poor in spirit, that's the first step. The second beatitude, those who mourn, right? That's the second step. And now, and then the third beatitude, right? Blessed are the meek third step, and so on and so on, right? He offers his blessing first, not to the rich in spirit or the full in spirit or the ones who have it all together or to those who know the Torah or those who keep Lent or those who are able to keep a 4.0 or blessed is 
the honor student or blessed is the corporate lawyer or the corporate executive, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, the empty in spirit, right? We start from all the way at the bottom and go from there, right? That's Jesus' baseline. So if we want God's blessing, we must, like, it's not at somewhere as glamorous and as glorious like the top of a mountain, but somewhere a little more gloomy like the bottom of a valley, what the Puritans call the valley of vision. And it's only when we are humbled, it's only when we see our limitations, our capacities, our deficiencies, our sins, it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we can begin in Christ. And it's only when we're emptied of ourselves that we can be filled by God. And so I remember when I submitted my resignation to my, you know, the current church that I'm serving at KBCM. So I remember submitting my resignation. I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I need to find another job real, really quick. And so I tried to look at other churches. Like, I, I, There's a couple of churches in our presbytery where I, okay, I'm just going to submit my application. I'll see where the chips fall. So I submitted my application, and I, and I tried to brag about, you know, I focus on my strength, my accomplishments, my training, my education, how involved I am in the presbytery. I try to, I try to impress them with everything that I've done, right? My righteousness, my accomplishments, my merit, nothing. And then, okay, I'm like, okay, then I guess I need to think of plan B. Okay, so I focused on, okay, then I'm going to try to apply for chaplain positions. Okay, I'm going to go to a hospital chaplain or hospice chaplain. And then, so I try to talk about how, okay, I'm a military chaplain, so there's a lot of skills that cross over. So, you know, like I try to talk about how you know, I'm a fast learner, how, right, I got an Army Achievement Medal in less than a year. And so I, I focused on my skills, my accomplishments, my achievements, nothing, crickets. And then, I'm, you know, I was freaking out, okay, okay, what am I going to do, right? Two kids and another one on the way. It's like, I need to do something. So thankfully, I have my EIT, which is like, if for those of you who are engineers, you know that that's the first part, like the first part of getting your PE. So I still have my EIT, it's still good. And so I'm trying to figure, okay, I'm gonna throw a Hail Mary on this. Let's see if, if there's a company, a civil engineering company that's willing to take me on, even though I have a 13 year gap. By God's grace, a company called, right? And so I'm freaking out because I'm like, are you serious? You're like, this isn't a mistake, right? You're not, you're not like just tugging me along and then you're gonna pull the carpet out from under me. Like, like you guys are serious. And they said, yeah. And so I'm like, okay. And so I went and then my final interview, they were saying that you know, it's not because, like they said that it's because I have no experience, right? It's because I have a 13 year gap. It's because I haven't picked up any bad habits from previous employers. It's because I'm basically starting from scratch. I'm, I don't have, like, I can't rely on my accomplishments, right, my achievements, right? I just, I was like, okay, I'm, t I'm nothing here. And so it's because, they, like they said, it's because they can mold me in their image, right? They can shape me into the engineer that they want me to be. That is what made me attractive to them. And 
you know, that completely humbled me. I'm like, okay, though, I have no room whatsoever to brag at this point. And so that's, you know, for me, that was really poignant because that reminded me of you know, oftentimes it can be so easy for us to try to stand on our accomplishment, even when it comes to our faith. Right? We try to talk about it. We, we try to tell God, God, I did this for you. Or, like, why can't you, why did I catch COVID when, you know, I, I'm faithful to you, I'm double vaccinated, I got, my, I got my booster, and I still got COVID. Like, what gives God? Or we wonder why God has not answered our prayer for, for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or getting that career that we want or that job that we want, while even those we know who are less talented, less skilled than we are, they get the job that we've been wanting, or they get into the school that we want, and yet we are languishing in what we think is right a second place and wherever you may be it's my prayer for all of you that the lord would draw you near to him you know today and that you would turn from the fool's gold of the world and that you would turn to the true treasure jesus christ again there may be certain reasons as to you know, what, that preventing you from, from doing that. Maybe specific sins, it may be a multitude of sins that may have seared your conscience. Maybe you think that God is not, that, that God's grace is not strong enough to forgive you or deliver you from your sin. And I want to encourage you, right? Don't underestimate God's forgiveness, his mercy, because as far as right, Psalm 103.12, right, as far as east is from the west, so as so, right, that's how, and that's how much God is willing to forgive our sins, right? And come to him so that the Lord will reveal to you how gracious he really is. Just like we sang earlier, right, you know, God is a good, good father, right? Not because we deserve it or we earned it, but because Christ is worthy. Maybe you've been sinned against. Maybe you feel that, Others have victimized you, and you and you just don't have the energy, right? You don't have the capacity anymore to deal with it. And so my encouragement to you is, right, you know, just come to him. Because, again, so some of you may already know this, but there's prayers of repentance, and then there's prayers of lament, right? Prayers of repentance is praying, you know, us lifting up our voices to ask for forgiveness for the things that we've committed, and then prayers of lament, those are prayers that we lift up for things that are out of our control. Right? We see what's going on, the injustice, right? the inequities that are, that are in the world around us. Right? We want to do so much. Right? We want to change. We want to see justice be served. Right? With you know, the jury selection for the three officers for, you know, for, for George Floyd's murder, right? that's beginning. And so we want to see justice be done. And so... And, and we know that things are maybe out of our control. We can't, we, we can't choose the jurors. Like, we know that we, we can't choose to judge, right? even though maybe some of us we want to. But in those opportunities, we lift up prayers of lament right? because there may be times where, like, our hearts are bursting. We want to see justice be done. It's out of our control. So we lift up prayers of lament. We say, God, you know, it's out of my control, but I trust in you, right? That way... We can still pray. We can still look to the Lord 
in, in those matters. And then if you're still struggling with that sense of being victimized or sinned against, right? You don't have to, right? You're not, it's not forgive and forget, right? That's, right? Forgive and forget is just horrible, right? That's however long you need, right? God is gracious. God is going to extend that mercy, that grace to you. And so if, if you can't do it today, right? There's, God is still going to give you, he's not going to, I'm going to say, okay, like this is only a one-time offer. Either you do it now or you're never going to get it again, right? God's still going to continue to invite you. God still continues to call you to take this grace, to receive this grace, that the kingdom is here. And so whenever you're ready to be a part of the kingdom, it's still going to be here. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged that it's by grace alone that Christ invites us to him. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to, to take those steps forward, right, to, to receive this invitation that he offers to us in compassion, to receive and to know more intimately the grace that he offers, not just on an intellectual level, right, but even on a personal level, on an intimate level, would you no longer hide behind? You know, again, if the fig leaves of your excuses or even sins, because you are a son, you are a daughter of God, you are a disciple of Jesus, you're not just a part of the crowd. Would you not be ashamed or envious of others who've surpassed you, maybe in spirituality or professionally or academically or personally, but focus on Christ? Would you not take yourselves too seriously? And would you not look down on others who have not reached your level in regard to dedication or discipline or sensitivity or accomplishments? Right? Because Jesus starts at the bottom of the valley. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't start at the top of the mountain. Right? He gives the most grace to those who are poor in spirit and not to those who are just full of themselves. So this is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves to come because Christ has come first. He's initiated and now he draws us near to him. And I invite you all now to come and partake in this grace that he gives to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, that it's not a conditional hope, but it is an unconditional hope because it is not dependent upon our performance but it is based upon the performance of Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserved. He not only did what the first Adam couldn't, but he cleaned up the mess that the, second, that the first Adam made. And so we look to Christ, not just as the dude who died on the cross for our sins, but as the greater Adam, the greater Moses, the greater Redeemer and Savior who graciously invites us, who doesn't force us to come to Him, who has come down to meet us where we are. So I pray that we would, would take you up on that invitation to draw near to you and that you would meet with us, that you would 
remind us of your faithfulness and if maybe we haven't taken those steps ever before, that as we take those steps towards you, that we would know you more intimately, that we would come to know your grace in a powerful and a profound way. So may we celebrate, may we honor that that we are a part of your family. We are a part of your household. Thanks be to Christ. Pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. We're going to have Sir Charles come back up and uh, close in benediction for us. But before we um, you know, do that, uh, let's just take this time to um, just process what we heard in the Word and what a great reminder. Um, if you notice in the passage, uh, when it says, blessed are blank, uh, they all talk about you know, the inward reality, right? Uh, well, first of all, blessed, the word blessed means happy, you know, joyful, uh, security. Um, you know, and the answer to that is, you know, where, do we, where do we get that? Where do we get that kind of security and joy and happiness in this life and the answer that Jesus gives us is you know, pure in spirit uh, pure in heart um, not about the circumstances not about the credentials not about our accomplishments because those are all shifting sands uh, if we bank our happiness on those things you know we will fail and there comes our insecurity anxiety all those things that the world wrestles with. But when our blessedness is on the Jesus Christ who has died for us, who has risen in victory, He is our destiny. He is our foundation. He is our everything. You know, Colossians 3, you know, uh, 1 through 4 talks about how you know, we are hidden in Christ in God. If that is the reality, you know, what can make us not blessed? Even when, you know, things of this world, even when our performance fails. What good news that we have in Christ. So could we, in light of this you know, great word that we hear um, from God's word, can we just... Um, you know, quiet our hearts in that uh, steadfast love that God has for us. Before we go out into the world, you know, uh, for some of us who are working, go back into the performance-driven, you know, eight to five daily work. Before we go back into, you know, school and um, be anxious about, you know, the future grades, can we just sit right now? under God's grace and ask God, God, help me. Help me to ground my hope in you, Lord. Help me. Help me. Let's do that and uh, we'll finish with the benediction. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope, the assurance that we have, not in our performance, not in our spiritual resumes or even in our earthly resumes 
but in the performance, in the person, life, and work of Jesus Christ. Not just the dude who died on the cross for our sins, but our Lord, our Savior. It is because of him that we're able to call you Father. It's because of him that we are now your sons and daughters. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are your children. I pray that we would grow in that knowledge of grace. We would grow in our desire to, more, to know more of you. And we would grow in our affections, to grow in our desire to live a life that points others to the reality that you and you alone are the true and living God. So protect my brothers and sisters as they go forth, as they go to go back to their dorms or apartments, as they go study for or prepare for class tomorrow and the rest of the week, as they go to work, as they go home to take care of their, their parents or their children, continue to watch over them and give them opportunities to be refreshed and to be recharged, to be reminded of the hope and the assurance that is theirs in Christ. Would you continue to protect us physically and our health from COVID and any other variants and continue to give us opportunities, whether we may realize it or not, to know and to get and to share with others the wonderful hope and comfort we have, thanks be to Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen.